I'm Brian Fabian Crane and I'm here with Sebastian Couture. We just got back from Amsterdam where we attended Bitcoin 2014 conference, which took place from May 15th to 17th. It was the second conference organized by the Bitcoin Foundation and over 1,000 people gathered for three days of talks and conversations. We had the opportunity to interview many speakers and attendees and talk about their projects and perspectives. We will release those episodes over the coming weeks. Today's interviews come in pairs with two Lees and two Phillips. We begin with an interview of Bobby Lee, CEO of BTC China. Sean Jones and I sat down with Bobby to talk about the current state of Bitcoin in China and to clear up some of the confusion surrounding the PDOC's recent decisions. Then you'll hear my conversation with Charlie Lee, Bobby's brother and the founder of Litecoin. He currently works as a software engineer at Coinbase. We talked about Litecoin and he gave me his impressions on how he sees the currency he created evolve alongside Bitcoin. Brian and I also bumped into Philippe Rodriguez. He's the president of the French Bitcoin Association, and he told us about the current state of Bitcoin in France and the work the association is doing there. We end this one with Philip Rose, CEO of Aurelia, a consultancy firm based in Brussels, and he's also one of the founders of the Belgian Bitcoin Association. So this is uh, Sean Jones at uh, Bitcoin 2014 in sunny Amsterdam. I'm very fortunate to have with me today Bobby Lee from BTC China. Uh, probably you've been someone right up there in the in the in the headlines uh, these last uh, few weeks with uh, events with regulators in in China. You, you, your yes, background. Thank you for having is, me. Well, Welcome. And I'm also joined um, by Sebastien Couture. That's right. <laughs> uh, the, 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 one of the two main men uh, on Epicenter Bitcoin. Bobby, you're uh, CEO and co-founder of BTC China, uh, the first uh, Bitcoin uh, exchange in China, if I remember correctly. Yes, that's right. The very first one from, uh, from three years ago. You started in Silicon Valley. You're a, 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 a technical entrepreneur. You were at Yahoo. You you moved back then to to uh, Shanghai, was it? In uh, about seven years ago. That's right. Uh, worked with the MC. You helped set up. Um, uh, was it China's leading uh, IPTV company? Yeah, I was CTO at, at SMG Best TV, and then media, vi- yeah. vice president of Walmart's e-commerce uh, business in China. That's right. So you have huge experience in an area w- which is largely characterized by people with not a lot of experience. Oh, no, I wouldn't <laughs> say that. But certainly, you know, digital currency is also new to me. I just got involved in the last few years. And a lot of people say that the price of Bitcoin has been affected in certainly the last 12 months significantly by initially uh, people buying Bitcoin in China, that the Chinese market for, for Bitcoin has driven a, a large part of the, the, the price increase. And then most recently, with news from the People's Bank of China, has uh, triggered some of the, the falls. Um, I'd like to talk a little about People's Bank of China decision because it's not well understood, certainly outside of China. Maybe it's not that well understood in China. Perhaps you <laughs> want to tell us a little about that. Sure. So I, I agree with you. We think that China has had a, a role to play in the price of Bitcoin in the last six months, 12 months, for good or bad. Uh, just like you know, a year ago, a, year, a little over a year ago, when Bitcoin prices first started running up in early 2013, we attributed it to Cyprus. 
uh, with with this political situation there. And certainly, we, because Bitcoin is a global asset class, you know there are multiple exchanges all around the world. When one exchange price moves up, inevitably it brings up the prices of Bitcoin across the other exchanges around the world because it's a global asset. So when there's heavy buying and price increases in China, you see other exchanges' price go up as well, and vice versa. When prices fall down sharply in China, you see prices go down in other exchanges around the world. So it's interconnected system. That that's the way it is. And uh, in terms of the PBOC decision, it's it's quite understandable, even though it may not be ideal for us Bitcoin fans, but it is quite understandable. Because I want to explain that from the perspective of government, Bitcoin is so new, so different, and so hard to understand, right? Even for someone like myself and many others who've been looking at Bitcoin for more than three years, it's very technical, it's very complex, and very complicated. We understand some of the benefits of it. We certainly also understand now some of the the negative downsides of Bitcoin, the dangers of the volatility, of the fact that sometimes it's hackable. Uh, from accounts and wallets, and the fact that you know people um, people can't feel it and touch it. So for these reasons, the government in China has been cautious, and in their caution, whether you call it knee-jerk reaction or whether you call it planned sort of uh, regulation, they have decided to slow things down. First, by issuing the memorandum on December fifth, and more recently by stopping. Third-party payment companies, stopping banks, and now even stopping or discouraging media coverage of Bitcoin. Was that right? Yeah. So recently, we 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 have heard from reliable sources that Chinese state media at all levels, at the state level, county level, province level, to city level, they have all been barred from covering the Bitcoin conference last weekend in Beijing, and furthermore, in the same instruction, they've been barred from essentially. Talking up Bitcoin in the future, unless they get a, a, unless they get, you know, authority to do so from from the leaders higher up. So is this an attempt to take some of the volatility out um, that's probably created by, shall we say, the Chinese propensity to to, to be yeah. free with gambling and to to, to, yeah. to speculate wildly <laughs> and and sort of pile in and and pile out, as it were, run yeah. out. Well, yeah, I agree with you. Chinese have a have a uh, have a history of, of propensity for gambling and rushing into investments. Uh, that might be said of other countries and cultures as well. Uh, but the way I see it is, Bitcoin being such a new asset class, so phenomenally revolutionary, it is bound to be highly volatile. Because if you think about, if Bitcoin were truly to succeed, the per capita Bitcoin value would far exceed the one dollar that it is today. So today on Earth, with seven billion people. The per capita value is only one U.S. dollar uh, or one euro, somewhere about there. But for Bitcoin to succeed as a global asset class, as a digital asset class for the future, I I expect Bitcoin to be in the orders of magnitude worth more than a dollar per person. So in that sense, to get from here to there, it's a huge increase. It's like from zero to one is infinite percentage. From one to however many thousands or hundreds, that's a huge percentage. It's, mm-hmm. it's you know. And because of that, it's going to be volatile, that road up, regardless of whether it's China or Cyprus or yet another country or culture or, or group of people moving the prices up. So so I don't think the China government, the PBOC, is thinking about volatility. They're not 
Because think about it. If they really were concerned about volatility, they must be really care about Bitcoin. They're oh, I love Bitcoin. I want it to grow smoothly. Therefore, I care about volatility. Uh-huh. That's probably not the case. They're probably not thinking so much on behalf of Bitcoin. They're just uh, concerned about this thing that's new that they don't fully understand. That's and right. They're playing it fairly cautiously, as most officials are in most countries. That's right. That's the, the, right. Particularly out of Europe. Now, with regards to the PBSC's decision moving forward, what are Bitcoin exchanges in China, like BTC China, are going to be doing. Yeah, that's a great uh, question. Well, how does your business change uh, with regards to this new decision? And everyone's asking me that. And I would say, unfortunately, we're not quite at the stage of it, – it's not quite – well, two things. The Bitcoin market in China is not over. And even the latest moves, we're not – we haven't seen the end of that chapter yet. Mm-hmm. So we, we might – it might still take a few more weeks or a few more months to for the dust to settle. Yeah. And then that's when we'll know exactly what we can do and what we cannot do. Okay. So, so as it stands today, very concretely, so exchanges can – you, can you kind of describe uh, yeah. what is permitted and what is not permitted? Sure. And what was still possible or is anything possible at all? I mean – Yeah. So BTC China today is functioning normally with an asterisk. And what I would say functionally normally is all our customers who care to do so can easily log on, come in and trade, buy and sell Bitcoins, take money out, put money in, take Bitcoins out, put Bitcoins in. So all that is functioning normally. So withdrawals and, and, and deposits All the withdrawals are, are functioning normally. Now, the possible. deposits are functionally normally with an asterisk. And the difference is that the deposit method has changed over time. In fact, throughout the history of BTC China, our deposit methods have has always been – uh, flexible. We, we've taken – in the early days, we, we took deposits via personal accounts. We even took deposits via Liberty Reserve and, and PayPal, I would say, in the very, very early days. This is before I got personally involved with BTC China. Uh, and then uh, in the latter days, we, we took deposits via third-party payment companies. This is the PayPal equivalent in China. Mm-hmm. These, are, these are via registered, legitimate sort of corporate accounts and corporate relationships with our third-party payment processors. Mm-hmm. And then since that got shut down, we start we started doing vouchers and also taking deposits through our regular corporate bank accounts. As you may know, corporate bank accounts have been stopped in China as well. We still have several bank accounts open. Some have closed. For the ones that we have open, we have not uh, made them available for customer use because we're afraid that if we do so, they'll get closed as well. Okay. So, so deposits are happening today through the voucher system. What All that right. means is there are vouchers circulating out there in public. People buy and sell vouchers amongst themselves. Imagine two customers buying and selling vouchers, paying cash or paying whatever amongst themselves. And then the holder of the voucher will then come to our site and cash it in and get a deposit. A third party voucher. It will be a BTC, BTC China voucher. Oh, so okay. you issue your own. Yeah, we issue our own. It's called the BTCC voucher. Yeah. Okay. So we've been doing that for close to six months now, five months now. And, uh, and that's been very successful. People are using that to, to, you know, to move money and liquidity around. So we still have people – people are still trading on our site daily. Uh, there's healthy volume. We have a healthy amount of customer reserves and all that stuff. So the, the only friction really is for deposits right now because, I mean, customers can withdraw to their bank accounts. Absolutely. Yeah, okay. Absolutely. And trade. Okay. Yeah. Eventually, I suppose, you, 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 your own reserves will be – Diminished by 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 cash outs that are going through the, the yeah, fiat it's not, system. Yeah, it's not it's not it's not our reserves. It's customer money. So yeah. basically, the, the the tank is full. Uh, uh, certainly, that we saw a wave of withdrawals in December. We saw a wave of withdrawals in January, but then when when confidence comes back, people start putting money in again and start trading mm-hmm. again. So we're we're not at the highest level of customer reserves, but we're certainly much higher than we were last summer. Yeah. Okay. 
I was um, going to ask you a little bit about Bitcoin businesses, how they're regulated in China. Um, I think this is not something that we're familiar with here. <laughs> T- tell us a little about that. Yeah, so Bitcoin is regulated as a virtual commodity. So it's not regulated as a money instrument. It's not a currency in China. So what happens in the what happened in December regulation? They said is that they called out Bitcoin exchanges. They called out this class of business as a legitimate internet enterprise. So as an internet company, Bitcoin exchange would need to register with with the traditional Ministry of Industry and Information Technology. This is what all Chinese internet companies register with. So we we do that. In fact, we've complied with that long before they mandated it. it. So we've done that. And then furthermore, in theory, Bitcoin exchanges should also comply with anti-money laundering and KYC rules as set up by the PBOC. So we're, we're doing self-regulation on that part. Uh, the reason is some of these details have not been clearly specified uh, in detail by the PBOC. So we're doing it as best best faith, uh, sort of proactively, and then over time we hope for the PBOC to come in and clarify what exactly they want to make sure we comply and vice versa. Um, now, for other Bitcoin companies, whether it's wallet companies or other Bitcoin merchants, unfortunately, as of today, there is no clear saying in terms of how Bitcoin companies should be regulated that's outside of the exchange framework. So, uh, for example, Ministry of Commerce that governs all companies, they haven't come out to say anything specific about Bitcoin. And likewise, the Taxation Bureau has not come out, uh, the State Ministry of Tax, they have not come out to say anything about Bitcoin, how it should be taxed. You know, on the revenue versus the gain versus all that. So that's all still unknown, a little bit in the gray area for now. So at this moment in time, China's actually a very good place to have a, a, a Bitcoin startup, save that you can't have a bank account. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at least at least uh, in China, uh, the, the, the it's, it's, it's a little bit funny, ironic, because what we used to think of Western culture, Western law, is that unless it's explicitly forbidden, it's allowed. Whereas traditional Chinese law is that unless it's allowed, explicitly allowed, it's not allowed, mm-hmm. right? Turns out it is true that way, but because of the history of legislation around money and fiat currency and all that, it turns out in in the Western world, you know, it's it's actually harder to start some Bitcoin companies because they they are afraid of running afoul of existing laws and regulations right. like money yes. transmitter things mm-hmm. like that. Whereas in China, because historically there hasn't been the money transmitter license, there's only been a third-party payment license. And since they ruled Bitcoin to be not applicable under that, it's sort of free-for-all. It, so it's, people, a, it's officially unregulated. It's officially unregulated. Okay. And, and you're right that you could go and, and set up Bitcoin companies and do X, Y, Z. But it can but change tomorrow. It, right? it can and, change and, tomorrow. And yes. there isn't a lot of consultation or even public uh, information. It's just… yes. Leaks out almost. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And then actually, the the more depressing news is that because of all the regulatory actions taken by the government over the last few months, the people have really started to feel uh, discouraged, and that that's sort of uh, you know it's a you know I say it with, with you know I, I it's sad but it's true that a lot of Chinese consumers and pot, the populace feel discouraged about Bitcoin and they're st- taking a step back. There's a chilling effect. They are less uh, less anxious or le- less interested in investing in Bitcoin because of some of the actions the government has taken. Mm-hmm. Now, we all know – we're in the Bitcoin circle. We all know Bitcoin cannot be squashed and cannot be eliminated. But certainly what China has done has done a good job of suppressing it. Mm-hmm. And if the Chinese populace 
knows that the government has been has been able to able to suppress Bitcoin, then they sort of say, "Oh, I guess I won't play it with that anymore." So, so moving forward, I mean, for the time being, you said that China is being cautious uh, about Bitcoin, and this has certainly shown that they're trying to be cautious about it. Where do you think this is going? Where do you, what do you think China's stance will be on Bitcoin in the next few years when perhaps it's gaining more mainstream adoption in other countries? Will they kind of you know uh, reverse, course. Re- reverse course and, and perhaps uh, regulate it in a way that allows yeah. companies like BTG China and others to uh, to yeah. operate in China? What, that, what that's your, a great question. People ask me. That's a great question. People ask me as a joke, when, when would China eventually we're all right ban Bitcoin? Yeah. And well, I don't think that's going to happen. I mean, yeah, I don't think it's going to happen either. But you, it is it is in the realm of possibility. They have every right to do so. Mm-hmm. But given what they've said, the fact that they've already said that this is a legal, legitimate personal property, it's unlikely they will change course so publicly and call it an actual ban on Bitcoin. Now, what's also good about the Chinese policies, because if you, if you look at the actual situation, the only piece of writing – is what's happened on December 5th. Mm-hmm. And in the writing, it clearly does not forbid some of these things. So a lot of these uh, a lot of these situations today, the third-party payment companies, the banking, the media coverage stuff, it's all via verbal guidance, via verbal interpretation and guidance. So in theory, over time, if China wants to, wants to adopt a more, more uh, supportive attitude of Bitcoin, it could happen within months or within years, and it could be done very easily without having to Pass legislation. They haven't really gone public. Exactly. They, they could the just point. just whisper in some people's ears and say, "Hey, I think we're okay now," and then they will pick up again. Do without- I detect in that that if, if if it happens that way, as inevitably it will in uh, U.S. and Europe and other parts of the world, that China will. Is your prediction that China will ease up and allow those whispers, more positive whispers, to? Yeah, so I'm crossing my fingers. I'm cautious and optimistic <laughs> that if the rest of the world start embracing a more supportive attitude of Bitcoin, which we think will happen through through good education and cooperation, then I think China could could very well follow in reverse course. You're not closing up shop yet. That's right. We're, we're not we're not going to abandon and give up on China. And the the reason is simple, right? Because if you look at all the other decentralized asset classes like gold. And silver, precious metals. They're decentralized asset class. They happen to be physical and tangible. But what's happening in China? The Chinese government has actually had an attitude and a policy of encouraging investment in gold and decentralized in gold and silver and precious metals. So a lot of Chinese consumers, private people, uh, sorry, they have private savings in gold. They buy gold bars and stuff like that. They store it really? either at home or in banks, much more than other countries. So the Chinese gold. Uh, accumulation has 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 outpaced the rest of the world. Uh, it's easily, if not already, the n- number two holder of gold worldwide, behind the United so States. So there's a precedent for, for there for is, this. there is. So that's why if if I mean gold is very transparent. Gold has been around for five thousand years, so people understand it. They know the pros and cons, and that's why China China has a relaxed attitude on gold. It was not always the case. At one point, gold was banned. Uh, for personal holdings in China, really? Yeah, even, yeah. So at one point it was, and then they relaxed it over time. So well, that's that's uh, some something to learn from. Thank you very much, yeah. Bobby, for taking the time to speak with us, and I uh, hope you enjoy the rest of the conference. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thanks. Thanks. Okay, so I'm here with Charlie Lee, and you are. I am the creator of Litecoin. I also work at Coinbase right now. 
Awesome. And how are you enjoying the conference? Uh, very good. It's a great conference. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, what, uh, what's your impression about this conference like uh, compared to some of the other conferences you've been at uh, recently? Um, there's a lot more people. It's yeah. very, very well organized. And this time, Coinbase has a huge presence, so it's nice. Yeah. Yeah. So Coinbase is sponsoring. Yes. Yes. And we have like 10 people here, too. Yeah, I know. So, yeah. so um, tell me a bit about what uh, Coinbase is working on right now. Like, what are some of the new services that will be coming out in, in the next few weeks or months and stuff you can talk about? Um, well, we don't really pre-announce anything, so <laughs> there's not much we can talk about. Uh, there's not much I can talk about, but we... Um, we're basically working on um, like all all the different fronts, right? Like the working on exchanges, uh, the buy sell feature, uh, merchant merchant tools, the wallet. So we have people working on all three, and also the API. So um, there's going to be stuff coming out soon, but that seems to be a big focus for a lot of companies: the APIs, right? Uh, the uh, ability for developers to plug in and, and build things on top of the blockchain. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? I think the API is really important. We have like, uh, I don't even remember, like hundreds of like uh, uh, developers writing a- writing programs on top of our API. Like some stuff that we don't have, people can just um, uh, add on. Like someone wrote um, something to do limit orders because we don't provide limit orders on our site, but you can easily just implement it. So that's nice. We're like having um, a website that, looks at all your buy sells and tells you how much money you've made how profitable you were yeah a lot of good features cool uh, what's your uh, involvement with Litecoin right now like, uh, like get, well, we don't hear about Litecoin very much like at these conferences like uh, so what's your involvement with Litecoin and where do you see it going um, I don't do a lot of uh, day-to-day programming with Litecoin mm-hmm. Warren Togami is the lead developer right now he's doing a lot of that um, my involvement um, I still like overlook like the project um, general direction and I come to conferences and kind of promote Litecoin talk to people merchants exchanges payment processors trying to convince them to support Litecoin and how how has that been going like I mean are, are there very many merchants accepting Litecoin like it doesn't seem like there are very the many merchants are um, they're not compared to Bitcoin obviously it's not a lot mm-hmm. uh, but we're getting there and right, I mean the path right now is to first you need the exchanges to provide liquidity for the coin yeah right and that's um, it's really good because a lot of the newer exchanges, all the new exchanges that come out all support Litecoin from the start. Um, it's kind of, uh, people realize Bitcoin and Litecoin is the, the pair to support right away. And some of the older exchanges like Bitstamp are um, kind of too busy. They're not sure whether or not they want to support do like multi-currency. So I'm trying to convince them, but I'm, I'm not sure how how much I can do um, and then once you have like the exchanges provide liquidity then you can have the payment processors like the like Goldcoin now supports Litecoin um, and then I'll try to convince Coinbase to do it and then maybe BitPay so once you have the payment processors then it's easier for the merchants to use the coin to accept the coin because they can do it uh, without any risk because the payment processors will convert it to fiat for them right and so but what's your idea? Like you say, that you're kind of like overseeing the general direction of Litecoin. Where, where do you see it going? Like you know, two, three years. I know it's like in cryptocurrency times, it's super long. But like, where, yeah. where do you see it going? I mean, the general idea is the same as what I started off with, which is to create silver, right? To Bitcoin's gold. So I can see like Bitcoin and Litecoin being used side by side. Um, as like Gavin said just yesterday, the Bitcoin network 
um, the transactions we had to increase or the block size has to increase in order to support all the transactions. So in the future, I can see where the transactions fees for Bitcoin is high enough that only like the larger transactions will be um, on the Bitcoin network and then the Litecoin would support smaller transactions. So basically, the two networks would handle... Um, we share the responsibility of handling all, handling all the transaction volumes. Okay. So possibly we'll need like more than two. But now, the, so but you would still need exchanges to interface between the two coins, like because for the time being, there's no like direct. It's not like Litecoin is some sort of side chain off Bitcoin, mm-hmm. right? So um, is is that not some sort of a technical challenge, like, or at least a barrier where you need to have these companies that that assure the uh, well the interoperability between both currencies. Mm-hmm. Um, well, there's going to be more like interesting things like decentralized exchanges where you can easily switch between Bitcoin and Litecoin. Um, and you can imagine um, wallets doing the uh, conversion for you and taking a cut. Right? Okay. So, for example, like if Coinbase supported both Bitcoin and Litecoin, you can easily convert between Bitcoin and Litecoin. Obviously, you'll lose a little bit over from the conversion fees. But if you wanted to, it would be very simple. Okay. And um, so with uh, kind of the growth of uh, altcoins, um, like, you know, Dogecoin and all these other altcoins that are popping up all the time, uh, where, where do you see Litecoin fit into that kind of ecosystem? Do you think that uh, it will be more prevalent than some of these newer altcoins that are gaining a lot of popularity, like Dogecoin, for instance? Or um, do you think that, you know, other, other altcoins might also serve this function of, like, doing uh, higher transaction volumes and, and such? Um, well, so people are positioning Dogecoin as, like, the microtransaction coin, right? Yeah. So it's possible for a coin to take up, like, that kind of that space. So, I mean, I guess, like, so right now... Somewhere, some, somewhere in the middle, right? So, like, Dogecoin is, like, super micro, microtransactions, mm-hmm. and Bitcoin would be, like, high transactions, high, yeah. high volume, and, and Litecoin would be somewhere in the middle. And, yeah, something like that. Um, right now, it's so unclear which coins will survive. Yeah. The altcoin market right now is, is kind of a mess, right? So, um, I think the free market will decide. After, like, next year, you'll see, like, all the... The um, the coins that really provide use will bubble to the top, and the coins that are more scam and more pump pump and dump will kind of pretty much disappear. disappear yeah. Okay. Um, what are your thoughts on like side chains, for instance? Like that's been talked about a lot, and kind of a, as a replacement for altcoins to be able to provide more functionality and perhaps tr- higher transaction volumes. What are your thoughts on that? Um, what well, the thing about uh, side chains is it doesn't really. Uh, solve one of the major uh, benefits of altcoins right now. So one of the ba- major benefits of Litecoin is that it provides another um, secured um, network, right? Bitcoin has a network secured by SHA-256 um, uh, ASICs. Litecoin is secured by something totally different, right? So there's a single point of failure with Bitcoin where if someone wanted to attack Bitcoin, let's say the U.S. government decided to kill Bitcoin, right? They could... They could basically buy a lot of um, Bitcoin ASICs and try to 51% of the network, right? But if they wanted to kill cryptocurrency, they would have to do that to every single coins protected by a different network, right? They would have to buy Bitcoin ASICs, they would have to buy Litecoin ASICs, they would have to basically attack every single uh, coin. So Litecoin provides kind of like a backup to that. So Yeah, I mean, that, to me that seems pretty unlikely that... Like, the U.S. government would would buy up like lots of ASICs and and try to shut down the Bitcoin currency, where like in effect it would only affect like one block. They would have to like 
pound it for a long time, I guess. But well, they, so, they, they do have a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Um, so yeah, as, uh, uh, as it relates to mining, so we're talking about mining. Um, so there's like uh, script miners coming out now. Like I'm not sure where exactly that's where that is. Are there script miners at the moment? Script that, 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 that have been shipped. Uh, there's like. I've seen the USB script ASICs. Yeah, I haven't seen um, any of the larger ones, so I don't know. I mean, they're they're supposed to be coming out, but we'll see. So the other thing about sidechain is that um, the sidechains have to be merge mine. So if you have a sidechain, you have to convince all the pools to merge mine you, right? And if only like five percent of the pools merge mine your sidechain, then it's not very secure because another big pool can. 51% attack your sidechain if they wanted to right it would be um, it would be free for them to attack it because it's just a merge mine sidechain so um, I think sidechain adds a lot of complexity to the Bitcoin network because then you'll have pools that do like 10 major sidechains and pools that if you don't do those sidechains if you don't um, then you'll have more centralized mining because people would want to mine that pool because they provide more um Rewards because the sidechains provide rewards also, so it gets. I think it will lead to more centralization of pools, and if not, then the sidechain will not be very secure. So we'll, I think there might be some problems with with that. Um, and yeah, so going back to mining real quick. Uh, uh, yeah, so where do you see uh, Litecoin mining in, in the next six months to a year? Um, how like, do you see that? How do you see that changing? As right now, I mean, it's just like a lot of just the regular people doing the mining do you see mm-hmm. sort of an industrialization of mining as we've seen with Bitcoin or uh... um, well I think like people are misinformed about current state of mining people think that with GPUs it's very uh, everybody can mine but in reality yeah everybody can mine but the people there's gonna there's still gonna be huge mining farms mm-hmm. right it's just I think it's just nature of um, nature of the thing right people who have money who can um, buy a lot and uh, minimize their their costs right will do so they will buy a lot of GPUs create a huge farm and find a place that has really low electricity or even no no electricity and make a lot more money than the normal individual miners um, with ASICs the same thing will happen but um, the individual can also buy ASICs, right? The, the one problem with ASICs right now are really the ASIC manufacturers. They um, they basically overpromise and underdeliver, like almost all of them. Yeah. So um, so the the individual miners will get hurt because they will buy an a pre-ordered ASIC and think that it will be delivered next week, but it's not going. They're not going to get it for half a year, and then they they'll see their profitability just drop to something really low. Okay. So I think that's gonna. That's what I don't like about ASICs, but I think um, just like Bitcoin, it'll take like a year or two to kind of iron out all these. They'll have more and more honest ASIC creators that will um, only deliver when they ha- only sell something that they have in, in stock. So, so, Do you think that um, as Litecoin ASICs are just starting to roll out now, do you think it's a good time for regular people to get into Litecoin mining you know, through ASICs or should you just buy Litecoin with that money? Uh, <laughs> I always think that buying a coin is, is better. better than mining. Yeah, um, I've been mining Bitcoin Litecoin since, um, since like three years ago. You're still doing mining? Uh, yeah, and I've okay. always thought that um, 
buying the coin was more worthwhile than mining. I like mining because it um, it's kind of cool yeah. to to do the mining, but yeah. I never see it as something that's profitable. Right. Like I don't expect it to be profitable in, with respect to the coin price. Okay. So um, so if you if I would recommend if you if you really want to make money, mining is probably not the best thing to do right now. Right. Right. Mining for fun is good. And to like sort of feel like you're protecting the network, that's cool. Um, but for if you want to support the coin, buying the coin is probably the best move. Okay, thanks a lot. Sure, thank you. Thanks. How are you doing, Philip? I'm doing good. How are you enjoying the conference? Ah, oh, very good. I enjoy it very, very, very much. <laughs> so, what are your thoughts on this one uh, compared to like the Berlin conference where you last met? Uh, first, it's bigger. Yeah, uh, much bigger. There is one thousand one hundred people here, so it's a lot. And I think that uh, I think the people are more uh, keen to uh, to do business, to be more in the uh, in a proactive way to evangelize on uh, on Bitcoin. So. And so, um, why don't you tell us a bit about uh, how the French Bitcoin Association is coming along? So the French Bitcoin Association is doing very good at this at this stage. We um, we plan to uh, to uh, have a big event in uh, September. That will be a sort of a Bitcoin France event uh, in France. We hope to have three hundred people and uh, attendees. And uh, we are doing good in recruiting all the speakers in, the, in, this, in, in this very conference. <laughs> How many speakers have you recruited so far? Here? We, are, we are about to have 30 speakers. And I think that we have recruited like uh, 10 or 15 a year. So, <laughs> so a do you have a, a, a two-day event or a one-day? No, it will be one-day event for the first, uh, for the first year. Yeah. And uh, when we grow, we will have maybe two, three, four, five days in the, in, in the future. <laughs> 30 days, a month? No. A month, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so I, I, I've seen you speaking to uh, other European uh, Bitcoin Foundation uh, Absolutely. leaders. Yes, we had a very good uh, uh, meetup uh, the first day uh, before the conference with uh, all the uh, European uh, uh, Association. Was very good to see. Uh, we had the seven countries. We had uh, UK, Germany, uh, Netherlands, Swiss, uh, Switzerland, Sweden, France, Poland. So it was good, and uh, we were talking about regulation and the way we can or could work together in a way of having uh, something uh, common about regulation in Europe. And uh, and um, in the morning we had the big uh, big uh, event with uh, the Bitcoin Foundation itself, concerning the way uh, we can uh, be an affiliate. Yeah, and build a partnership with them. Yeah, we talked about that with John yesterday. Uh, yeah, is that something yeah. you're considering for the French Bitcoin Association? Is being considered? Yeah, it it is it is being considered. We haven't decided decided yet. Uh, we have a lot of discussion with the board of the association and uh, with uh, the Bitcoin Foundation and we have to settle something or yes or no but we have to settle something yeah cool and so um, like going back to France uh, so we've been in this discussion about uh, building local chapters in France um, can you tell us a bit more about that and uh, so 
because I think other Bitcoin associations around the world can probably do the same thing. Yeah. I think that uh, we uh, we have to make sure that uh, we go uh, uh, in terms of um, expertise, like uh, finance and uh, uh, regulation, uh, law and technology and startups and business and so on. But we have to make sure that we expand as well uh, geographically. And this is very important for France because France is not Paris. Uh, and we have to make yeah. sure that uh, we cover as well the north of France, uh, the center of France, south of France, and so on, because there is a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of uh, the community that is uh, in this part of uh, France. And uh, there is a lot of expertise, and we, uh, we, um, we will announce soon that we'll have a, a, a chapter in, in Lille. Yeah, I know. With you, Sebastian. No, I think that's uh, that's interesting, and um, you know, because, like you said, you know, uh, a lot of times we confuse the country with the capital, and uh, especially, especially if you're in France. Especially if you're in France, <laughs> yeah. and you know, much like the Bitcoin Foundation is uh, trying to branch out into different countries, I think it's important also for local Bitcoin yeah. associations and national Bitcoin associations to to branch out locally and have yeah. local chapters. So that, that's that's why I'm more in favor of having uh, the conference called. Bitcoin France 2014 rather than Bitcoin Paris 2014 because I think that we can do something that is more That's a good idea. that is that is also very national we'll see but um, I think we have to think about this awesome thanks a lot thank you thanks okay so I'm here with Philip Rose from Aurelia in a Belgian startup company and can you tell us about it? Well, uh, the thing is, in in uh, difference with most of the companies who are at this event, we're not super innovative. We're not the biggest mining companies or minor building companies. We're not uh, BitPay itself. But what we try to do is uh, we are bringing Bitcoin to the mass, to, to the people, to companies, general people, um, which... Um, yeah, have never been in contact with Bitcoin actually. So we're trying to convince them of what the possibilities are with Bitcoin, and then try to help them integrate that in all of their yeah money accepting solutions. Whether it's e-commerce, whether it's point of sales, uh, whatever we're trying to. Help and, them. and you especially work with BitPay. We uh, have a contract with BitPay, and so we're the BitPay certified partner in Belgium. So yeah. if there's anything. Uh, or any company who starts working with Bitcoin, uh, sorry, with BitPay, uh, through us or not, and they have a certain concern or a certain problem, BitPay will always point them towards us. So that's uh, so you're, you're doing. I mean, I guess what you're doing is consultancy for companies yeah. that want to get into Bitcoin and providing solutions for them, such as BitPay. And correct. Correct. Okay, that's really cool. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah, sorry. I'm really curious about uh, the business model uh, side of this. Uh, do the companies pay you like for your time consulting them, or I mean, I presume if bit, or I know BitPay has some affiliate program as well. Mm -hmm. So, well, indeed. Um, so, uh, for standard consulting, of course, there's, there's some kind of a, a fee that we, we uh, charge for our working hours. It's not more, much more than that. Um, and afterwards, it depends on on the the kind of um, 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 what's it called. Like how much transactions the company does? Uh, not only that, but, but the type of um, 
solution they have within BitPay actually. Okay, so, yeah. so this, uh, uh, and we're paid by that. It's not. We don't get rich on it. We can't uh, live on it even. Yeah. But it's it's a good way because um, through BitPay or services like BitPay, we can easily um, um, help people or help companies to get into the Bitcoin world because well, there's. A, a big legal step there. Uh, you can't put them into your accountancy without having some kind of a legal problem right now. So um, BitPay brings it back to the to the mass. That's really interesting because there's a lot of evangelizing going on, and and uh, um, you know companies are kind of waking up to the reality, which is you know Bitcoin is is, right. is coming, and um, I mean it's here and it's it's gaining traction. Uh, but you're the first. That I've first company that I've encountered that is actually doing like this as a consulting thing, and and I think it gives it a very like much more serious uh, you know for a company to say okay so I'm not just going to go see this meetup I'm going to actually work with somebody who's going to help me implement my big my Bitcoin payment system on like my e-commerce site for instance and be compliant and like get the right accounting and have the, you know, the right solution to do it. So that's really good. Uh, you're doing good work there. <laughs> thank you, thank you. That's uh, that's uh, the whole ideology uh, at which we started. Actually, the the whole company. We said Bitcoin is so great. We should do something for the mass, for for, for everyday people, for for just people who haven't even heard about it. Uh, so that was the ideology. So, what are you finding to be the challenges? Is it hard to find people interested? Is it hard to? Uh... <laughs> Well, uh, companies. well the, the thing is we're in, in Belgium and of uh, I think of about all the countries in the world, Belgium is really spoiled uh, with uh, standard payment systems. So if I transfer money from A to B, uh, I mean from one, com- um, one banking account to another banking account, it doesn't cost me anything. It goes not in Bitcoin terms, but it goes relatively fast and these. Uh, so this, it's really different or really difficult to convince companies to start using Bitcoins because yeah. it was so spoiled. But of course, there's much more to that. Uh, they don't pay any fees if they go outside of the country. They, uh, it goes way faster. It's, but it's difficult to, 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 uh, to how convince many, them. How many companies have you signed up? Uh, signed up, uh, I can't actually tell because we've got some NDAs, of course. But we're in contact with uh, with uh, twenty tall, uh, twenty tall, uh, companies uh, right now. Yes. And so, being in Belgium, where uh, so what, what city you're looking in? Excuse me. Where, what city are you based uh, in? In Brussels. In your city, in Brussels. And so, Brussels is uh, where there are the head of well, the uh, head office of many uh, well, the EU, but also many banks, European banks. Um, are you also targeting those as clients uh, potentially? Or not right. Trying now. to do evangelization yeah. with banks. No? Not not right now because um, there's an opportunity for them. Uh, uh, look at at uh, banks like Fidor in Germany who got into it and actually got something really clean out of it. So there is an opportunity, but for us it's still a bit too early. Certainly, uh, we, it's already difficult to start convincing standards companies and then going to banks will even be more difficult, I think. So uh, let's let's try to gain some, some extra uh, confidence and, and, and uh, qualities in, in getting to companies and then go to banks. Cool. And um, so... As it relates, so you talked about the European Union. Yeah. Uh, is that also, uh, I guess, one of your missions is to try to spread the word and, and talk and 
get you know maybe lobby uh, for Bitcoin at the EU? Uh, well, we'll we'll do that for sure. Uh, but I, I by by accident actually, uh, I uh, also am uh, director of the Belgian Bitcoin Association or one of the directors. By accident. <laughs> yeah, it's it's it, it, it's not connected, but yeah, in the, in the end. Um, so the, the idea is with them and with a lot of other uh, associations and foundations in Europe, we're trying to get uh, a unanimous voice and go with them towards uh, the European Union. But because so, uh, where do you see uh, your company in uh, two years? Are you planning to stay with the current kind of consulting and Bitcoin implementation thing or do you hope to branch out in other yeah, services? We're pretty white right now uh, and I think it's in, certainly in Belgium it's one of the, the only solutions that is possible uh, because um, we also for instance are uh, developing our own miners, it's a proof of concept it works, it's, it's, uh, it's uh, fun and now we're looking at much bigger uh, uh, miners that we're going to build so we're a bit looking at different areas and we'll see within a few years we'll most likely be more niche and uh, be more towards something uh, specifically which might grow out of yeah, the growing community which, uh, which uh, exists out there. Thanks very much. Thank, Thank you. So we hope you enjoyed this episode about the Bitcoin 2014 conference. If you liked our coverage please consider tipping us at epicenterbitcoin.com slash tips. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter at epicenterbitcoin.com slash newsletter and tune in next week for more interviews and coverage of Bitcoin 2014.